0: Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Elias Chappellis, and Patrick Ishmael from Show Me Institute. Patrick, it was a busy week in Jefferson City for education. Uh, there's a, several bills floating around. A lot have to do with transparency, which is something that you've been talking about, uh, especially for the last couple of years in education. Um, what was the the good, bad, and the ugly this week? What do you think?
1: Uh, SB4 is, I think, the main piece of legislation dealing with transparency. It's a Missouri Parents' Bill of Rights. It's now been combined with, I think, two other bills that do similar sorts of things where it's this idea that parents should be at the center of their kids' education, that they should be able to see uh, how their schools are performing, what their kids are being taught, how money is being spent. We've talked about this for the last couple of years, of course. And um, it it passed through its committee hearing. Uh, It'll probably go to the Senate floor um next week uh and so uh it's looking good right now i think in terms of education more broadly i think we're also looking at uh, a lot of uh interdistrict choice bills that i think are going to be pretty successful you know hopefully um apart from that you have transgender sports uh, that's not an issue that we've really talked a whole lot about that's really being taken up in the house uh that is probably going to be uh pass-through committee uh, maybe next week in the House. And so I think what's going to end up happening is the Senate's going to pass something on transparency and education. Uh, it'll end up going back to the House. The House is going to pass something on transgender sports. They'll go to the Senate. Uh, and I think they'll probably have some sense of what those wills are going to look like in the next month or two. Now, whether those get passed in the next month or two, I don't know. They They look like they're kind of on a fast track right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we thought they were on a fast track last year, too. So they might get voted uh, through to the governor by May. They might get voted through to the governor by March. We don't know yet. But uh, I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic at this point.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. Last year, it did seem like that there was a lot of momentum behind similar bills. And it got derailed for various reasons in fighting. And re- I mean, you've been to Jefferson City a couple times already this session. Does it seem like the atmosphere is remarkably different? different to you this session or is it too early to tell?
1: No, I think it is different. Uh, You know, last year and really the last few years have been pretty contentious, especially within the majority caucus. And I think, you know, there are a lot of reasons, you know, uh, private reasons that they might not share publicly. You know, I think a lot of this publicly is about, oh, who's the true conservative or or whatever it is. But the effect of all that was a lot of tension and a lot of foot dragging by, I think, both sides to actually get things done that the public wanted done. Among those, of course, is educational transparency, which unfortunately died last year uh, in, in some ways kind of unexpectedly. It, it, it died in such a way, you know, the Parents' Bill of Rights and all these other transparency measures died in such a way that even the governor himself, even though he didn't really talk about it, expressed his regret that those bills didn't get done in 2022. So I think there was an expectation that it was going to get done last year. It didn't get done. And I think, you know, after a contentious election as well in 2022, with some new members uh, here in 2023, you know, I think that there uh, is an interest in trying to get something done, trying to, you know, turn the page, have a clean slate uh, and and actually get some things done. And so far, uh, I've been pretty... um, impressed by the speed with which both the House and the Senate are moving on their respective priorities. Again, anything can happen, uh, but I think that um, I'm I'm more optimistic about the legislature. Now, the governor, on the other hand, his state of the state address was a little concerning. It was all about spending. It had nothing to, to do really with any kind of reform, uh, it, it, but at least as far as what the legislature can control directly, uh, I, I've got some high hopes. We'll see uh, if they can get it done, all these different items done by the end of the session.
0: Sure. And before we move on, I just want to be, be clear. Uh, when we talk about education transparency, you've written about this, talked about this. But in this bill, it mentions a portal that would be built, right, where schools, districts would input their curricula and then parents, policymakers, taxpayers would be able to go and find it easily. Correct.
1: That's exactly right. And it, it reflects kind of what we've been pushing for for a little while. Of course, we've done our show me checkbook project our show me CBA project. All those projects, the core of them is making available all these documents online in one single place. And, of course, the state just a couple of years ago in, created their own portal for uh, for county spending and potentially city spending as well called the show me checkbook uh, portal. It's through the treasurer's office. And I think what we're hoping to see and what these bills contemplate is something similar for schools where you can actually go online and see what's being taught, how money is being spent and uh, how how schools are performing. And I would also say, though, that in a lot of respects, you know, t- although we don't have the power of government to compel districts to to provide us with a lot of this data, we have something similar to that with the mostschoolrankings.org website, where uh, you can see financial data, you can see performance data. You can't see curricula yet, but I think that that, ser- that site serves as a really great kind of baseline for the sort of site that we would want to see from the state. And of course, looking at these bills and looking at what they they contemplate and expect um, having all this information online in one place—that's something that I think the state has bought into, and it's something that we've pushed for 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 quite a while now.
0: All right. Well, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of movement and a lot of news in that area, so we'll be checking in, Elias. One of the areas that you track is healthcare, and uh, this week there was some movement on some bills. Uh, let's start with scope of practice. I think it's uh, SB 79. Um, what's going on with uh, scope of practice?
2: Sure. So, scope of practice is something you know that we've been talking about for a long time. It's this idea of you know what to what extent can different um, healthcare providers in Missouri you know what all can they do, and in Missouri specifically, we're pretty restrictive on what um, nurses can do. Um, advanced practice registered nurses in a lot of places, uh, you know, they can uh, treat patients independently. They can you know treat patients across state lines over telemedicine stuff like that. Well, in Missouri. That's something that has been uh, you know lacking for a pretty long time. Missouri is kind of dominated in a lot of ways by the doctors. And so uh, during um, the COVID emergency uh, periods, there was actually waivers to make it easier for nurses to practice on their own advanced practice registered nurses. And um, essentially after the uh, COVID state of emergency ended, it kind of went back to the old ways where it was hard for nurses to do a lot of things on their own. And now the legislature, after a couple of years of kind of disappointing um, you know, performance there, the legislature seems you know, finally ready to tackle the issue of you know, making it easier for people to um, access their providers, specifically in rural parts of Missouri, where there is a severe shortage of doctors and there are ready advanced practice registered nurses uh, you know, willing to go there. They are there and they're ready to serve patients, but state law was making it too hard
1: for them.
0: And so, this falls in the same category of um, the license reciprocity reform we got over the last couple of years. Just some more supply side reforms, right, in healthcare. And so, if we want to, we want to increase that supply, and um, this is just another step to do that, right?
2: Sure. It, it's, you know, there's multiple sides of this. Um, it, it is increasing the supply, but it's also it's also making it so that the uh, supply of nurses that are already there can do more. And so right now, how it works is that an advanced practice registered nurse has to have what they call a collaborative practice um, agreement with a doctor. So to, to treat anyone anywhere, uh, an advanced practice registered nurse has to have an agreement with the doctor. That doctor has to be within 75 miles of them. And then they have to review all their charts and stuff. And that's not how a lot of states do it. Um, and essentially, you can imagine 75 miles in rural parts of the state where there aren't a lot of doctors, um, that can become very difficult. And so the bill specifically, said SB 79, gets rid of collaborative practice agreements altogether. Um, you know, the last few years have been, uh, well, I guess a few years ago, there was a essentially an expansion of this radius of 75 miles. But Really, the um, ultimate reform here is to get rid of this collaborative practice agreement. Let Missouri law reflect um, advanced practice registered nurses in the areas that you know they have been trained to treat patients to the extent that um, you know doctors can. Um, when we, I, in the past, I've talked a lot about telemedicine, and one of the issues or the barriers to telemedicine post um, the COVID waivers. Was essentially that people had to um, visit their doctor in person before they could see them over telemedicine because state law refers to this physician-patient relationship that had to be established in person before it could be virtual well one of the things these uh, bills this year there's actually more than sb 79 that would do it is it changes physician-patient relationship to provider-patient relationship you know so making state law you know, more universal for whatever qualified uh, provider can do these things. It's not just it's not just doctors running uh, running the healthcare access game in Missouri.
3: So imagine in the era of Zoom. I mean, just how ridiculous these seventy five mile rules are for a collaborative practice arrangement. Like, as if there's some difference in whether a doctor is on Zoom with a nurse seventy four miles away or seventy seven miles away. It's just so, technology is so advanced these rules, and it's just time to time to get rid of many, if not all of them
1: well, and one thing I would add too is that I think a lot of those rules are in place so to benefit doctors specifically because it also means that you know you can uh, as a doctor live in a maybe major metropolitan area and still have control over the healthcare system well beyond what your immediate reach might be. I know that uh especially with other uh kinds of health care providers like in Missouri assistant physicians, which are basically unmatched physicians that can work in kind of uh, rural areas of the state. Uh, I know that doctors are are very concerned about competition, uh, like, uh, you know, doctors that have gone through and been matched with hospitals and all that. Uh, They are concerned about competition from these assistant physicians and from um, nurse practitioners that might otherwise be able to maybe compete with them. And I think that's good for consumers. Having having competition based on price, that lowers the cost of, of care uh, over time, especially. But I, I think when you have regulatory burdens like you have set in place right now, and a lot of these are set in place by uh, or pushed for by doctors' interest groups on other professions, uh, I think that it, it really does for patient care over time, especially in rural areas.
3: Patrick, are, are, let me get this straight. Are you suggesting that Various professional groups and various industry groups use licensing laws and regulations to benefit themselves at the expense of taxpayers and customers. Are you are you, are you suggesting that?
1: I I, I am <laughs> I am suggesting that. I know it's novel here at the institute, but yeah. And this is also why, like, moving away from a lot of the licensing boards that that kind of control a lot of professions, not just control you know within a profession, but also outside the profession that a lot of these interest groups have. Um, I think to the extent that you can dismantle a lot of these power structures that, you know, give preferential or deferential treatment to certain professions, uh, especially against other professions, uh, I think that that you're moving in the right direction and making it easier for people to be cared for. All
0: right. And Elias, to kind of pull back the curtain and give the audience an idea of some of the stuff that um, you get to experience on a day to day basis, you sent me a, a note. On uh, someone testifying before the Senate Committee on Insurance and Banking.
2: Well, first I want to say I, I can't believe everyone's not following. Not uh, yet, the yep. Committee on Insurance and Banking. But I uh, know the on the theme of you know expanding healthcare access. Another you know way of you know expanding this is having more uh, options for health plans. So you know having you know before we're talking you know having more healthcare providers. But also having more um, options for health uh, insurance, health plans, and stuff like that. And one of the issues that has—I mean—it's been really a big topic since, really, since the Affordable Care Act was passed—is that people's, um, you know, out-of-pocket costs for health coverage has gone up. The cost of health insurance is more expensive, um, and just going to the doctor is more expensive. While the network of providers that you can go to has kind of uh, shrunk. And so, one of the um, one of the ways to sort of um, improve this or you know an innovation around this is to allow people to group together and form their own pools and so there's this uh, an insurance pool so there's this idea of what are called essentially uh, association health plans and at currently this hearing this past week was one the association interested is the missouri farm bureau but what they're saying is hey we want to offer health insurance to um our or health coverage to our uh to our members. And the idea would be they wouldn't be subject to all the burdensome regulations of the Affordable Care Act, but they would still have, you know, they would still be backed by reputable insurance companies. They would have, um, you know, very good provider networks cover a lot of things that the, um, you know, people interested would want, and you could save a lot of money. Um, in most cases, the, uh, cited numbers are about 30 to 50%, uh, you know, monthly coverage compared to, um, you know, Affordable Care Act plans. And, um, you know, maybe this isn't perfect for everyone, but really in a time where healthcare access is so difficult and people are having a hard time affording going to the doctor or the doctor they want to go to is no longer in the network, you know, more options like this, or at least having it so that state law allows people to go to, um, you know, the doctors they want to or receive the healthcare coverage they want at a reasonable price is incredibly important. And so I'm glad the legislature is looking at this um, but, you know, uh, as with all healthcare things, there are some devil, uh, the devil is in the details. And so we're going to be following it. But at least at first, it looks to be, uh, you know, a promising, promising trend.
0: Yeah. And it seems like with all this stuff that the pandemic kind of forced innovation, and you mentioned the waivers, and it it uh, made people get creative in a hurry. And now that uh, some of the smoke is clearing, I think you're right, there's going to be a lot of sifting through what worked, what didn't work, what should we keep. And it looks like, I don't know, th- we should keep a lot more stuff than uh, people are maybe otherwise talking about, waivers, telemedicine, um, reforms to scope of practice. So uh, I think it'll be interesting over the next couple of years to see uh, what all the fallout is. Yeah, you
2: know, whenever whenever all this happened, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, there was a lot of concern or, you know, the kind of the sky is falling type scenarios of like, what happens if we don't have these different regulations? Um, well, it turns out a lot of things were working better and we didn't really need a lot of these. And specifically on the, um, you know, this SB 11, these association health plans, what we've seen over the last few years is more states are uh, offering things like this. So Farm Bureau um, in a few other states is now doing this and the members like it. And so, um, you know, this isn't a brand new idea. um, And, you know, expanding some of the scope of practice stuff is not a new new idea. It just turns out there was a lot of things that were supposedly in place that were, um, you know. They were in place to supposedly protect patient safety. Turns out, we're actually just making it more difficult to receive um, Missourians to receive healthcare, you know, at reasonable prices. And I'm, you know, I'm very happy that the legislature is looking at trying to fix some of these things.
0: David, another thing that happened during the pandemic: a lot of people worked from home, and uh, if you previously worked in an office building in the city of St. Louis, you were subject to one percent earnings tax. And the city would like to uh, maintain that relationship with you if you worked remotely. Um, there was a court decision last week. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast. But there were some other things that you wanted to dig into. So kind of give us an update on that court case and where you see it moving forward.
3: Yeah, you actually gave me the perfect lead-in about three minutes ago when you said to Elias with the pandemic forcing governments to be creative and, and deal deal with it and get rid of certain things and keep certain things i was thinking well that describes the earnings tax perfectly so yes so 3 years ago this, the city of st louis unilaterally and improperly which is the nicest way i can say it just sort of decided and you got to you got to say that like the the movie character you just decide although i'm forgetting the movie i'm from that, that that's from Uh, that the earnings tax is going to be collected on people working remotely uh, for cities, for businesses in the city. That had never been the practice before. More importantly, it is not the law. The law, the state law authorizing the earnings tax clearly states for work performed in St. Louis or Kansas City. Kansas City did not do this. Can't say that enough. Kansas City did not make this choice, this terrible choice. Uh, So people sued. And finally, you know, lawsuits take a a while to go through the courts. Uh, The city denied their refund requests previously. And just last week, uh, here in early 2023, six plaintiffs were, the judge found in favor of six plaintiffs that they'd be refunded their earnings tax money from 2020. Obviously, there's 2021 earnings tax money, 2022, and so on. So, hope the simplest thing would, of course, for the city to just Change the change their interpretation of the law because their interpretation is immoral and incorrect. Uh, based on the quotes from city officials in the Post Dispatch yesterday, one of whom said, and this is really just an awful thing to say, that I and I'm giving him room for hyperbole. Somebody was quoted in the post saying, I hope we can appeal this for a thousand years so we never have to pay. Which is another way of an alderman saying, I hope we can continue to do an illegal and improper thing uh, because we want to. Damn the law. Obviously, look, judges can side with the city on appeal. Certainly the city will appeal, but I very much hope it's not overturned. Anybody who can read the English language can, can see that what the city did, the city of St. Louis did, was wrong and that the earnings tax is applied to people working and services performed in the city of St. Louis, not into the city, as the judge said in his in his uh, decision. So I think it's great. I hope the uh, if there's another attempt to form a class action in St. Louis, I hope that is approved and I hope that many, many people... Uh, get their get their refunds, which they are owed because as much as the city may need the money and I'm doing air quotes under need uh, and as much as it may fund important services, it is still wrong and improper for them to get this money and just because they need it doesn't mean they can take tax money from people improperly uh, just to just to fund it need isn't in the in the authorizing statute. So what they did was infuriating and great to see the judge rule on this.
0: Yeah. The appeals process does tend to move pretty slow, but a thousand years does seem kind of lengthy to me.
3: I mean, very, very lengthy. I'd be curious to see what the court system looks like a thousand, a thousand years from now. Uh, All right. I would imagine a thousand years from now, the St. St. Louis city will have 27 downtown sports stadiums for various leagues and still it will be empty and nobody will go there.
0: Looking uh, at the other side of the state briefly, David. Another story that you're tracking is an, an individual involved in economic development in the uh, city of Kansas City that has found himself in some trouble this morning, right?
3: Right, and this is just breaking news as we discuss a, a breaking news story that the Kansas City Star did this morning about uh, of a high up official in Kansas City's Economic Development Agency. Turns out he'd been he'd been mis mis. Representing himself for many, many years. Uh, And he was fired recently by the Economic Development Agency, and he's just been sued for uh, money owed because he was basically, according to the lawsuit, he was misappropriating funds from Economic Development Agency purposes to to himself. I don't know if if he's been charged criminally on this yet or if it's only at this point a civil lawsuit. go. just goes to show what a what a grift all of all of this is it really is i i would argue that this man misappropriating the funds to the personal use immoral and, and wrong but it probably was every bit as economically beneficial as what the economic development agency of Kansas City would have done with the money had it been used for its intended purpose it w- it would have been wasted and and used as used terribly in in either way this way with the guy you know misappropriating it i can't say I guess I can't say stealing it. He hasn't been convicted of anything yet. Uh, it's terrible. And, but it just goes to show what a, what a grift all of this is. It, remember, three aldermen in the city of St. Louis, I can't say they were convicted of it because they're in jail. Uh, one of the charges they recently went to jail for bribery for related to the city's land bank and other economic development aspects of the city. It's just rife. It's just rife with grift. And as I said in an op-ed in the Springfield News Leader last month, the faster we just close down and get rid of our economic development agencies at the state and local level, the better off we'll be. They're an actively negative influence. It's, It's not only that they waste taxpayer money. I wish all they did was waste taxpayer money. It's that they involve cronyism, favoritism, and worse in our economy. And the sooner we can get rid of them, the better. And why? Why we're looking to, in the case of one particular bill uh, sponsored by a Republican in, in Jeff City to expand land banks, which have been a part of these problems in St. Louis and Kansas City for years, why we're looking to expand them statewide is beyond me. That's certainly the the worst bill in Jefferson City this year. So, tear them, rip them, vici, land banks must be defeated.
0: I would say it's early. There's plenty of time for there to be worse bills. That's um,
3: that's true, but it's, it's still going to be tricky. <laughs>
0: Uh all right let's uh let's wrap up. Patrick uh, what's one thing you're keeping tabs on over the next week?
1: Well, I'll be in Jefferson City uh next week uh and on two topics that Elias and I both have an interest in. One on specific need, the other uh is uh, going to be on the corporate income tax. So, we'll be looking at that, talking about that in the next uh Week or so, uh, and I'll also be doing some preliminary research into ESG investing and see uh, to what extent that impacts Missouri or what we might be able to do here. But a pretty full week ahead. Elias,
2: uh, well, this week it was. Opt- I was optimistic on uh, the healthcare bills that are being heard. Next week, I am not optimistic on what's being heard. Will be. I will also be going to Jeff City. There are multiple tax credit bills, economic tax credits. Um, one for to bring back Missouri's film tax credit. Another one uh, trying to um, create the entertainment industry tax credits. So we'll be there um, testifying in a opposition to creating these new economic development tax credits. And hopefully there are no more of them, but uh, it's early.
3: And David. Well, speaking of competition for terrible bills, those film industry and entertainment tax credits are, are right up there at the top for actually absolutely awful proposals. Uh, I'm following uh, news out of out of Cool Valley, Missouri, a, a suburb of St. Louis, off of I seventy in North County. Certainly one of the one of the better named cities in uh, Missouri. I think we can all agree, Cool Valley is a a pretty sweet name. So the mayor is being impeached uh, for a variety of reasons. He he's an interesting mayor. He he got elected promising to give all residents of Cool Valley, of which there are not very many, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin as uh, just sort of part of his campaign pledge. So give him credit for, for certainly thinking outside of the box of typical typical politicking. I don't know how that there aren't ethical considerations with just promising to give people money if you're elected, maybe since Bitcoin isn't considered legal tender in all places. That's, that's not necessarily a crime yet. Um, it doesn't appear to be working out. Not only is he not given all the residents of Cool Valley... Uh, Bitcoin, many of whom are are senior citizens and who I cannot imagine how fast they would lose their passwords and access to their own Bitcoin or have it be swiped from them. Uh, But he also hasn't done more routine things, such as doing a budget for the city, uh, showing up at city council meetings, and many other things that sort of come with the job of being a, a mayor. So he's being impeached. We'll see if he, he may be resigning to head off the impeachment uh, Nixon-like. Uh, we'll see what the continued fun and adventures in in Cool Valley. So, so for everybody who says that better together, and certainly the better together movement to change the way government was conducted in St. Louis County, it certainly had had flaws to it and went too far. But for all the people who said that had no good ideas whatsoever and no changes needed in St. Louis County, I present to you Cool, cool Valley. Uh, And the situation right there, and uh, probably you know twenty other similar examples I could cite off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, if you're a public official and your tenure can be described as Nixon-like, that's usually a bad sign.
3: I'm referring to I'm referring to Richard, not not Jay. In that, I want to be be clear in that regard. Right.
0: Um, all right, David, Elias, Patrick, thank you very much. As always, plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. Check out moschoolrankings.org, finance performance data for every school district in Missouri, and we'll talk to you next week.